Welcome to the Kirkenbauer half an hour. And if you took math in uh, junior high, that little two means to the second power. Kirkenbauer half an hour to the second power. I am Bill Kirkenbauer, and I thought of that name. And I was very happy when I did, and now I regret the two. Anyway, <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. Uh, hopefully you've been here before. Uh, I have uh, my assistant producer, sidekick buddy, uh, friend, uh, Jason Willette. Jason? Yes, yes, H-A-F-F-E-N-H-A-U-E-R.com is the place to go to catch up on the old episodes and uh, leave us some feedback. Bill, how are you? I am, you know, I have a friend of mine uh, that I talk to, and he hates it when I say to him, how are you? Because he goes with that old thing. Well, do you really care? And I go, well, yes and no. I mean, if you're, you know, broke your leg, I, I care. If, you know, <laughs> if your nose itches, I don't really give a shit. But uh, so uh, I, I, I flinch now every time. But and he's really <laughs> adamant about this. Uh, I think it came, and he told me the other day it came because his wife died several years ago. And when he would, he was working at a big studio. And when he'd walk around, people would say to him, well, how are you? How are you? So I think it connected with some sort of a sympathetic uh, thing that he didn't like. But now every time, now every time somebody asks me, how are you? I go, well, uh, I'm fine. How are you? And so, so, but I'm fine today. Well, I am, and, I am genuinely invested and I really do want to take inventory of your mental state. So Bill, how are you? I'm annoyed. <laughs> 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 I'm in a constant state of being annoyed. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get, well, you know, yeah, I don't. <laughs> you, you know, I am happy. You and me both, pal. When I'm happy, I'm happy when I'm sitting here uh, talking to you and we're doing the show because I feel somehow, uh, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, I started out in radio back at WSUN in St. Petersburg, Florida. Right. And when you're on radio, you know, if you're lucky, you're reaching 100 miles out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, on the internet, you're reaching all around the world for anybody that wants to uh, come in and see you. And, I'm happy about that. Dozens and dozens of happy people. You may have a minute, you might have a day. A month is much too much, or wouldn't you say? A second is too short, an eon too long. A week is just stupid, and so is this song. today and i am i'm a little i'm a, I'm a little starstruck me too i honest to god me too <laughs> i'm a little starstruck i mean we've been friends i i mean my my relate one-sided relationship uh with this gentleman goes back to when i was 19 mm-hmm. uh, in st petersburg florida and i was 19 and my buddy and i had started smoking pot <laughs> And I'm sure this is nothing he hasn't heard before, <laughs> but we were smoking top pot and we would listen to uh, these albums, you know, this is back there where you'd buy a record, you know, yep. music, music. And I've always loved um, comedy and I would, you know, Jonathan Winters and Bill Cosby sure. and different comedy albums. And mm-hmm. one day he said to me, Hey, look at this. And he showed me this album and it didn't look like anything I'd ever seen before mm-hmm. uh the cover of it you remember they used to have covers and uh so um, we rolled a doobie and he's in here lay down put on headphones and let's listen to this and this was like a turning point in my life yeah <laughs> i listened to this and, and 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 it was it was amazing and i we spent the summer listening then to many albums that that this gentleman and, and his uh, partners 
put out. And everybody knows the Fire Sign Theater. Sure. And I just, and, and to be able to have him on my show, uh, to be able to talk to him, and he's had an illustrious career beyond that. Not just this, but he's I'm just really happy to have him. So I'd really like to welcome him. Everybody welcome to the Kirkenbauer Half an Hour, Mr. Phil Proctor. Hey, All right. Phil. I'm very glad to be with you because, you know, when I was 19, I was in St. Petersburg, Russia, with the <laughs> Yale Russian Chorus. Right? Is Singing that right? Folk songs on street corners and public squares. <laughs> so we have something in common, comrade. <laughs> yeah, but your your St. Petersburg is much better than mine. <laughs> well, it was a beautiful city. Then it's Leningrad. Uh, yes, it, it, it it was Leningrad when I was in it. Okay, oh, really? Because mm -hmm. Lenin was still uh, living there. Yep. And uh, now and he's then pickled. They, of course, they changed it back to St. Petersburg, which it was originally. A beautiful city. St. Petersburg, Florida. Mm. You know, I was there for the Mosquito and Humidity Festival once. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and I still have scars from that, really. Mm. Uh, it was a restless night, you know, and I didn't have a mosquito net, so here I am. But it's a memory, you know, of being on the road, which, which I was, not just with the Firesign Theater, uh, but with Proctor and Bergman. For yes. many, many years. Did you ever see us perform, Bill? No, I've never seen you guys uh, do, do a live show. I, 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 I regret that. Oh, I'm that. sorry. Yeah, P uh, Peter Bergman, <clears throat> I should say, for those people who don't know who the Fireside Theater is, and there are a few, uh, it, yeah. it was a four-man satirical comedy group that came together on listener-supported KPFK radio yes. in oh. Los Angeles. Okay. Through Peter Bergman, who was doing a show called Radio Free Oz, and he was the Wizard of Oz. And I had gone to Yale with Peter, and he'd written the lyrics for a couple of musicals by Austin Pendleton that I starred in, Tom Jones and Booth is Back in Town. And then we went our separate ways. He, he, con he connected with me, with, with me once uh, after I'd spent the night with Susan Ansbach, the future actress star uh, and he was in an army uniform with a guitar and he sang us some wobbly songs for breakfast but that's another story <laughs> so anyway uh, four guys uh, and we all met this one particular night at kpfk uh peter bergman phil austin who was the station manager i guess or producer of the show at that time <clears throat> david osman who was also affiliated with KPFK, and me. And we discovered that we were all fire signs. Okay? Oh, I'm a Leo. That's what David it comes and, and Peter are Sagittarians, and Phil is an Aries, unfortunately. So <laughs> as a result, Bergman <clears throat> immediately called us the Oz Fire Sign Theater. And we would have remained the Oz Fire Sign Theater, but when we got our first contract to do a series of records for Columbia... Uh, in, in Hollywood, uh, we were sent a letter from Disney, uh, the, the legal firm, <clears throat> the Rats Lawyers, and they, and they said, you cannot use <laughs> yep. the name Oz. Uh, why? Because they were doing an animated feature called Return to Oz, and they said, yeah. well, you can't use the name. And, and <clears throat> you know, we should have said, but we're from Australia. And that's what we call our place. <clears throat> we, we come from down under, which is Oz. It's what we call it. We're Aussies. 
But no, we didn't. We said, oh, okay. Because really, the Fireside Theater is confusing enough right, for people. <laughs> right? And, and of course, uh, the albums that we did were an homage to radio. Sure. Because we all grew up on radio. We were, we're, I should just say, right, get it out of the way. On July 28th, which is coming up, I don't know when the show will be aired, but it's, it's coming up or it's come up or it will never come up. And it's my <laughs> 80th birthday. Well, 80th congrats. birthday. What? How is this possible? So, <laughs> right? So you can see that the fire sign had like a 50-year career. And actually, no, a 60-year career. And we toured and we, we put out, oh, 24 records over our, our long career. Last mm-hmm. uh, year, the Library of Congress, who had already uh, put our, our famous album, Don't Crush That Dwarf, yes. hand me the flyers into its historical recordings, which they flew us down uh, during the Bush administration to, you know, to have a press conference and everything. And lunch with Martha of Martha and the Vandellas and the guy who represented Jimi Hendrix catalog uh, in the in the uh, beautiful Library of Congress. Oh man, with a secret tour afterwards. Whoa! I have a comp- constitution. Oh no, no, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't talk <laughs> about that. Cut it out. Okay. Anyway, the Library of Congress last year bought our archives for half a million dollars. Wow. Okay. Jeez. So I'm talking to you from Mexico right now. All right. And this is the 50th anniversary of the release of Don't Crush That Dwarf, Enemy the Pliers. Mm-hmm. Oh, which yes. was an album. If, yeah, maybe you remember you were there, so you probably oh, don't. In the absolutely. 70s, 60s, I do. Whatever. Oh, good. Well, uh, it was an album that, that predicted channel surfing on television. Oh. Okay. And we, we took the whole concept of clicking from one place to another Mm -hmm. to tell our story. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a real breakthrough album, as were all our albums. Our albums, again, for people who may not know our work, if I just made the albums, I think you'll get a taste of it. Uh, First album was Waiting for the Electrician, or someone Mm -hmm. like him. The second album was How Can You Be in Two Places at Once When You're Not Anywhere at All, also known as the Marks Lennon album because mm-hmm. we got Groucho Marx and John Lennon to allow us to use their images in a parody of a Soviet style poster. Which, by the way, which, by the way, I was just listening to it before we started, and you were talking about "Don't Crush That Dwarf" being uh, uh, predicting channel surfing. Yeah, uh, two places at once predicts GPS. Oh, really? It really does. There's a voice going, you know, half a mile to go, a quarter mile to go. Yeah, that's true. There's that. But also, the whole idea of what we're doing right now is uh, an example of being in two places at once. When we're not anywhere at all, we're out there in cyberspace. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, we're made up of what? Zeros and and, and minuses or uh, waves of some sort. I'm sure people felt the same way about radio. When it first happened, you know? yeah. All right, so yeah. that was the second album. Third album was "Don't Crush That Dwarf, Handing the Pliers." <clears throat> the fourth album was called "I Think We're All Bozos on This Bus." Oh yes, yeah. All right. right. Now you may not know that "bus" was a pun. Okay, we we of course it was uh, a bus is a terminal in a computer that connects to other 
places in the yes. computer. Yes. Okay. Right. But we we realized the title as a bunch of bozos of people coming who came part of a fraternal organization who went to a kind of a Disney World, which was a government future fair, in order to enjoy the day, <clears throat> but to be basically propagandized by the government into believing that everything was fine, okay, when it really wasn't. <clears throat> I played a character named Clem, uh, who is known as a Clem, because when the computer asked me for my name, I went, uh, Clem, so I became a Clem, and I was <laughs> a disaffected worker. I had worked at the uh, theme park. I'd been fired. This is backstory. I don't even think it, it's in the album, and uh, I hacked the mainframe computer and planted a virus in it that brought the entire fair down. Okay, I didn't call my. I wasn't called a hacker, and it wasn't called a virus. It was a, like a, 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 a phrase that I put into Doctor Memory, direct readout memory, which was the the, the active computer at the time. Right. And the question was. Why does the porridge bird lay his egg in the air? And the computer could not compute it. It could not answer it. And so it got caught in a loop and it crashed. <laughs> Here's the most interesting part of this story. And I'm going to illustrate it. I'm turning on my iPhone now. Here we go. Now listen, I'm going to talk to Siri in a minute. Here we go. Okay. This is worker speaking. Hello. Hello, Aklem. What function can I perform for you? L O L. Differently now. All right. Let me. Can I? You, let me explain. <laughs> this is the phrase I use to get into the computer, to hack into the computer in the album. This is worker speaking. Hello, hello, worker. What can I do for you? Says the computer. Now, why is this on your iPhone? If you say to your iPhone, this is worker speaking, hello, you'll get this message. Why? Wow. Because Steve Jobs was a huge fan of the Firesign Theater. Oh. And during my varied career, uh, I've done voices for major Pixar and Disney movies. Mm -hmm. And among the first ones that I did was A Bug's Life. <clears throat> and dear John Lasseter, bless his... Hawaiian, sexy, misogynistic yeah. heart. <laughs> His problematic heart, yes. Yeah, he, he invited us, the cast, <clears throat> which, by the way, included David Osman of the mm -hmm. Firesign Theater, playing Phyllis Diller's right-hand man, okay? And they, we were invited up to the cast and crew screening, uh, which I believe was like at City Hall in, Los a in, in San Francisco or something. Because, you know, the Pixar studios are up in that area. And uh, Steve Jobs had just bought stock in Pixar. Yep. Because he wanted to apply his computer knowledge to help them with their computer animation. And I met him. And he said to me, Phil Proctor, I'm a huge fan of yours. And I thought, wow, that's, that's great. I'm so glad. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Well, when the Library of Congress purchased our archives a couple of years ago, our archivist, Taylor Jessen, went through our archives, and he found a contact sheet of pictures 
of the Firestein Theater in Berkeley, or Berserkley as we call it, mm-hmm. in Berkeley at a record store signing our record albums. And there were a series of pictures with a tall, goatee, uh, long-haired guy with his arms around us in the middle of the pictures. It was Steve Jobs. Oh, my gosh. Wow. He really was a big fan. What was the significance of the fact that we ended up making records? There were no podcasts. Mm-hmm. No, know, so no, there weren't. We, we could not get on the radio really doing what we wanted to do because we couldn't make any money from it. It was listener-supported. Uh, and, and so we went into the studio, and we invented long-form comedy records. Right. Okay? A 20-minute comedy idea that went in all kinds of different places and uh, involved music, sometimes totally original, uh, a comedy, drama, uh, singing, oh, gosh, I don't know, uh, sound effects, mm-hmm. uh, both live and, and uh, recorded and invented using, like, Moog machines and things like that. And we did that. We started in the radio studios, which weren't being used anymore, at Columbia Square in Hollywood. That's uh-huh. where we did our record okay in in radio studios and the big studio that we worked in was the one where they did live shows like uh, uh, the bob hope show and jack benny and things like that okay so we there we were doing uh, inspired by radio doing a new form of of comedy in radio studios which inspired us that was pretty magical then of course they closed all the studios down and made them into little offices for the AD, AD what, not the ADR, the A and R people to sell records, because suddenly the recording industry, because of rock and roll and other music, took off. Yeah, you know Dylan. I met Dylan at a, a convention there. All kinds of famous people were, were signed to it uh, at the time, but. Uh, what what we did was so unique and amazing that a guy named John McClure, when our contract was up, when we were supposed to, no, it wasn't, our contract wasn't up, we were supposed to do another album after Electrician. And, of course, the suits at Columbia, they didn't know who the hell we were. What are, who, who are these guys? What is this? I don't understand this. What is this? I never even listened to it. I don't understand it. And John McClure, who was head of the Spoken Arts Division, at Columbia, held up our record and said, these guys are geniuses. This is a whole new form of comedy. They're going to be big, and I I will sign them to a spoken arts contract. Well, that's good news. However, the spoken art, well, here's, here's the good news. The spoken arts contract meant we had unlimited free time uh, in, in, for production, in studio, unlimited free studio time. Wow. The bad side was that we then got a reduced royalty for that. Okay? Mm. <laughs> it's a small price to pay. It's we a trade-off, yeah. For freedom. Yeah, and any of those people come down and try to tell you what to do? Anyway, including our dope, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it was okay. And it, it gave us this amazing freedom, which nobody ever has had and will ever have again, because we could go into the studio and lay down some of the record, go back, write some more of the record, 
after hearing what we've just done, lay that down, listen to that, go back, write more of the record until it was finished. We could also do other things. We used to perform our records, the ideas for our records, in a place called the Ash Grove on Melrose Avenue, which for decades now has been the famous uh, improv. Okay? Famous improv comedy club. Did you ever play there, Bill? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, when you said that, Ash, I thought called, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it was called the Ash Grove, and uh, they, they, uh, they had all kinds of great lefty uh, singers and things. It was burned down quite twice. The Ash Grove. It mm-hmm. was firebombed twice. The Ash Grove. Okay, because the guy who ran <laughs> it, his name is escaping me right now, uh, was a famous lefty, and uh, there were, you know. Uh, uh, right-wing people at that time, we thought he was a commie pinko bastard, and they were trying to destroy his his wonderful business. Taj Mahal opened for us once. Oh, my God. The Credibility Gap opened for us once. Harry Shearer and, and Michael McKean and Richard oh. Beebe and those people who went on to have an amazing career. So anyway, we could go in. We could perform our album. Dwarf started that way. We, we performed Dwarf. We used to wear masks and costumes. We had sets, props, everything. And, and the audience would tell us what was funny and what wasn't, what worked, what confused them. This is the way the Marx Brothers used to work, you know. They used mm-hmm. to do their shows, because they come out of vaudeville, up at a place in Santa Barbara called the uh, Locadero Theater, where we performed over our career. And then they would take them back, massage them, and make a movie. Okay, so we would take it back and massage it and make a record. So we constantly were aware of an audience, whether the audience was the, the fans who understood us, the people who were new to us and, and, and enjoyed what we were doing, or ourselves. Because, you know, we, when we started working together on the radio, we improvised a great deal and we'd break one another up on a regular basis which was so much of the fun of it. It was all free form. I'm going to pitch a few things. If you go to www.firesigntheater.com, you'll find all kinds of stuff that we've done. One of those things is a book profusely illustrated with a whole bunch of my collages in it that are quite extraordinary because they were all stolen. So, you, you know, it's just like what's left. Uh, and it's called the Duke of Madness Motors. And the reason I'm pitching it is that it is the story of our radio years. Because after KPFK, we were signed to commercial radio, KCRW. We were on KPPC. We were on KCCP. We were on KGB. We did all <laughs> kinds of underground and commercial radio shows. So, so uh, Duke of Madness Motors, uh, compiled by Taylor Jessen, is, uh, is our stories, and it includes an MP3 of 80 hours of our radio shows. Oh. Okay. One of the shows we did, we released a record of, which you may have heard, called, uh, uh, what was it called, Just Folks? No, that was later. It was called uh, Dear Friends. Dear Friends. Yes. A two LP set of excerpts from our various radio shows. Yeah. Okay. That's out, that's out on Sealand Records. I didn't know you had a Negative Land connection. Yeah. Negative Land uh, 
has, through Taylor Jessen, connected with us to help us distribute some of our material. Mm -hmm. We were with Columbia for four or five years, something like that. The last album that we did <laughs> was called Not Insane, and it was absolutely the most insane album ever. It's not one of our best albums. It's probably the best of our worst albums. <laughs> and it was just Phil Austin and me basically producing it. And we used material from our stage shows, like the uh, Waiting for the Count of Monte Cristo or Someone Like Him, which was a Shakespearean parody that later was done on national public radio on a show called Airplay with original medieval music <laughs> performed live. And it was released as an album called Anything You Want To, Shakespeare's Lost Comedy, which you can still get. But, but, but anyway, uh, we, when we were doing the radio, <clears throat> we, uh, we improvised so much that it gave us all this wonderful material to work from. And, and not insane, we were able to lift from some of the recorded radio shows. And, oh, by the way, one of the shows we did, I think it was on KCRW, uh, was, was uh, called, well, it was a, an incarnation of Radio Free Oz, but I think it was called Live at the Magic Mushroom. That was a club in, uh, on Ventura Boulevard in the late 60s, I would say, uh, and we performed live a half-hour comedy piece very much like the Goon Shows, which, inspi which inspired us. The Goon Shows were a show in England that went on for a couple of decades, yeah. starring yeah. Spike Milligan, right, and uh, Harry Shearer, and uh, 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 this guy named, uh, oh, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, well, hold on, because it's, it's funny. That yeah, they were, they were precursors to uh, Monty Python. Right. Uh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they inspired Monty Python. As well, and uh, who is the the the, the Pink Panther? Uh, oh, 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 Peter oh, Sellers. Yes, Peter, Peter Sellers. Sellers. Yeah, yeah, Peter Sellers. I don't. Know I was just watching him the other night. Peter on Sellers roared. Spike Milligan and Harry Seacum. Harry Seacum, well, right? Peter Sellers' story is that his daughter opened a whorehouse on our street about <laughs> ten years ago, and uh, Peter Sellers' daughter's bodyguard's dog. <laughs> our bed <laughs> what okay. yeah yeah they opened this whorehouse on our tiny little canyon street <laughs> which had been rented to her because of a, an old friend of mine a young friend of mine uh who became who was an actress uh irene sue who became a real estate agent and she was friends oh and her ex-husband I knew these people. I went to visit them at their home and everything. It was Yvonne Naj. Does that name mean anything to you? Yvonne Naj. No. Was Heidi Fleiss's boyfriend. <laughs> oh. Okay. Wow. And so Heidi Fleiss's girlfriend opened this whorehouse on our street. And the house, I got them out because... Her, Too busy. Her bodyguard's dog, who's <laughs> a pit bull, broke in to try to catch my cat, our cat, through our cat door, and the cat hid under the bed, and the frigging dog ate through the bed. There was, there were wood chips and slobber all over the mattress. 
okay? And we, when we, my wife, uh, Melinda, and I came in from shopping, there was a dog in our, in our living room. And we said, well, do we have a dog? No, we don't have a dog. <laughs> we have cats. And so we pieced the story together, and that was enough to get them off the street. And then the house was rented by a guy named Ginty, who I've gone to Yale with, who was another director. And on this street, this little canyon street, off Benedict Canyon, a friend of mine, not a friend, a guy named uh, uh, Larry Kubik owned three houses. And one of the houses he owned was Ginty's Place, which became first the whorehouse, then, then Ginty's Place. And he was the manager for Sylvester Stallone, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I have pictures of my second wife, Barbara Saving son, who is Norwegian, being lifted out of his pool by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay? Which is <laughs> wow. ironic because the Nazis occupied Oslo. And my ex-wife, Barbara, remembers that when uh, at Quisling's place, which was nearby, was finally breached and the Nazis were driven out of Norway, she remembers in her school with a whole stack of plates with swastikas on them, which were school plates that the Nazis had provided them with, and dropping them all on the cafeteria floor and breaking them all. But I digress. Yeah. Let me just say, for anybody... Does Kevin Bacon figure anywhere in here? All of these crazy stories. I have a book, and it's called Where's My Fortune Cookie? Uh, and it's co-authored by my friend Sam Joseph. No, but I have many friends I've co-authored with. By my friend Brad Schreiber, Brad Schreiber, uh, who is a, a wonderful writer in his own uh, right. And uh, it's available at Amazon. It's called, once again, Where's My Fortune Cookie? Why is it called Where's My Fortune Cookie? Because when I was on the road with Peter Bergman, we survived a Chinese gangland massacre in San Francisco, known as the Golden Dragon Massacre. I remember that. 1977. Five killed, 11 wounded. Peter and I were under the table, and we survived. But at the time, it was the greatest massacre in American history. Now, just think about that. Okay, there'll be a podcast later. The greatest. And anyway, the book starts off with the chapter telling what happened and from my perspective because that morning I had learned that my wife Barbara was pregnant that morning and that night I'm lying under a table while these three gang members from the the, the, the Joe Fong gang are trying to assassinate some people in the watching gang who had killed one of their members and these guys, guys and gals, are sitting at a table, oh, about four tables behind our table in a corner. And they open fire with a machine, automatic machine gun and a shotgun and a pistol. And they killed several people right in front of us. I went right under the table. Peter did too, but he was exposed. Luckily, he wasn't hurt. I, I said to Peter, luckily, I ordered the duck. And Peter said, and I ordered the scared prawns. And I said, we, the next day we had to perform 
uh, in Aspen at the university. And we, we performed some of this material because uh, right after the shooting happened, in comes a cameraman and a lighting man, and they scan the scene and then run out. We went, oh, the next thing we know, all these paramedics and cops are pouring in, and they're, you know, they're doing triage and cutting the clothes off beautiful Chinese girls and doing all this kind of stuff. Yikes. And we had been brought there by a friend of ours named Dr. Bill Alexander, who I'm going to be seeing soon up in Washington State with Una Austin, my partner's widow. And uh, he, and I said to Peter, are you okay? And he said to me, are, are you okay? I said, yeah. Uh, Bill, are you okay? No, I've been shot. To this day, Bill Alexander carries a machine gun slug behind oh. his right knee. Mm. It had ricocheted off the floor after killing someone and gone through the heel of his boot. He had to squeeze his boot because it went right through the lining of Ooh. the, the sewed heel of his boot. And he carries it to this day, uh, much to his chagrin every time he travels behind his heel. So as I'm lying under the table with this shooting going on, <clears throat> which went on for, <clears throat> pardon me, for a minute, which seemed an eternity. Bang, 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 blam, blam. Bim, 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 bim. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm either going to have a child, or I'm going to die, or I'm going to be wounded. And I thought, if I have a child, that's a great responsibility. If I'm wounded, oh, I think our touring days are over. If I'm killed, no responsibility. <laughs> that is sure. exactly what went through my mind. Really? And so, uh, I, and I, the next thing I thought of was, when you go to the dentist and the drilling stops, you can go home. So I waited for the shooting, number one, to move to another part of the restaurant, and number two, to stop. Okay? And we, we got up. Bergman saw one of these guys going out of the, uh, the restaurant. And they were all wearing stocking masks. So because they were Asiatics, it looked like they were wearing ski masks. Mm -hmm. But Peter was able to identify one of them. And so he was, we were interviewed by the police the next day in the hotel before we went off to our next gig. Uh, and they, they did Super 8 movies of our, of our testimony and Peter was called up to actually testify against these gang members mm -hmm. uh, at the uh, the hearing, at the jury proceedings. And the, uh, the fact was that the Chinese, the people in the neighborhood, actually uh, ratted on these guys, okay, which was unheard of. The Chinese right. community, like, you know, uh, the, the, the Italian community, the Chicano community, uh, Puerto Rican community, I should say, in New York, Hey, be quiet about these things because they could get whacked, you know. Right. Yeah. So, you know, hey, it's none of our business, you know. So it goes. But the fact is that if you had a nice mafia killing, the guys who were supposed to be whacked were whacked, and you could finish your linguine and clam sauce, you know. <laughs> but this instance, it was very messy. They killed innocent people, and they didn't get any of their targeted uh, gang members. Yeah, five people. No. Five people, including two tourists. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, so let me guess. Me, the, the last boy, thing you said to your all these people, 
You know, so anyway, that's what my book is called, Where's My Fortune Cookie? But <laughs> I was going to say that was the, the last reason... thing you said to your waiter on the way out. Yeah, right. I, well, my, my waiter, he said, I said to him, if I thought this order was to go, I would never have come in here. You know, <laughs> anyway, and I said, here's a tip. Get <laughs> out of the business. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the reason it's called Where's My Fortune Cookie is this. Fireside Theater made up of four people, David Osmond, Philip Austin, Phil Proctor, Peter Bergman. Over the years, we lost first Peter Bergman, then Philip Austin. Right. So now, David and I are the only ones left. But we had a memorial service, first up north, because Peter had been spending time on Whidbey Island, where Dave Osmond lives, and then down at a place called the Electric Cafe in Venice. And at the event the memorial service for Peter Bergman, uh, one of our patrons named Gretchen Steiner had showed up with fortune cookies for Peter Bergman. And it had the, Peter Bergman's name and his date of birth and his date of death. And on the flip side, it had the name of one of our albums. And she came with all these fortune cookies. And of course, they were handed out to everybody. And I said, Gretchen, that is so great of you. What a great way to remember Peter because of the Chinese gangland shooting. She said, what? <laughs> you know, the, the, the Golden Dragon Massacre? Peter and I survived. And She said, what? What are you talking about? I said, now, wait a minute. You don't know about that? She said, no, what are you talking about? I said, look, it doesn't matter. Why did you make up the fortune cookies? And this is what she said. Because Peter Bergman came to me in a dream and said, I never got my fortune cookie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's great. And that was one of the lines that he said when we were in Aspen the day after. Because because those guys came in and filmed the scene, this was huge news. It was all over, all the media and television everywhere. And so... One of the lines that, that Peter came up with was, I never got my fortune cookie. Okay? Wow. If we'd gotten our fortune cookies, it would have said, get the hell out of there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. That, That's I love that. Oh, my God. I didn't even know about that. That's incredible. It's amazing. Listen, the book, Brad Schreiber forced me to do the book about four or five years ago because uh, I'd been trying to write the book of my my story up to now <laughs> up to then and uh and i i'm always busy i'm busy i'm doing planet proctor you are a busy guy you're always doing stuff yeah, very I'm busy i was doing voiceover work and and eight voices for movies and television and cartoons and everything uh, for those people who might know who uh, not know at all who i am if you ever watch the rugrats i'm howard on the rugrats the father of phil and lil Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So that's who Phil Proctor is. Oh, my God, I grew up with him. Yep. Yeah. You know, I mean, oddly enough, that wonderful role, which I did for 14 years, I get fan mail from Russia, from China, from Italy, from Germany, uh, even America, because of the Rugrats. And I send out postcards with, with uh, Howard's picture on it and my picture on it. And it's very rewarding. It's really fun to know that 
that mm-hmm. such a wonderful show, which appealed to both adults and children, mm-hmm. you know, has had a worldwide reach. Okay, like in Russia, it's called "Ooh, Eti Jiti." Oh, those kids! You know, <laughs> French is called something like "Les Enfants," something. It has some silly name, but but anyway, that's one of the the few ways that I can identify myself and my career to anybody, because so many of the other things are so avant-garde or off the wall or bizarre, you know, or voiceovers, you know, I'm the drunken French monkey in the Dr. Doolittle movies. I am a social drinker. I'm the, the, the guard in the Monsters Incorporated who spots the sock on the back of my, of my uh, uh, actor, whatever, the guy I'm managing, and call in the SWAT squad. You know, I am, who am I? I'm, I'm uh, Charlie the Seahorse in uh, Finding Nemo. Hey, you're a clownfish. Say something funny. Right. You know, all these crazy parts that I've done. Oh, and in games. I've done all kinds of things in games. Yes, you've done a lot games. of video games. Oh, yeah, and, and uh, Lose the War and all this stuff. And uh, I'm best known for the, the evil Dr. Vidic in the uh, Assassin's Creed series. Mm-hmm. Aspergo, to you. You see, so all of these bizarre roles that I've done that you know, are obscure, well, I can't go to any of these wonderful conventions. Not that they can do them now, you know, the plug right, has been right. pulled. But I have friends who've done uh, roles in obscure cartoons that have somehow reached international fame. You know, like it ran in Australia for five years or something. So right. they get first-class tickets to fly to New Zealand and Australia and England and you name it because of this of this role. And they're put up in first-class hotels and they sign pictures of their cartoon character and walk away with $10,000 in their pockets. I can't <laughs> do any of that. You don't do that? I can't do it. Nobody oh. knows who I am. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay? Rugrats has been off the air. We did 14 years of it, of it, but it's been off the air forever, and it's a different audience. Okay? Sure. I tried it. I went to London with a stack of pictures of all the things. Nothing. Nobody yeah. knew who the hell I was. They were all uh, interested in the, the cast of Futurama, which was right. being renewed. Okay? So, and, but I appeared on a board uh, uh, before a huge audience with the cast of Futurama because I know them all, and they know who I am. And I was able to answer questions from the audience, some of which they couldn't answer because they didn't have the background <laughs> to answer it. One of the questions was, uh, can you do an English accent? And none of these guys uh, would, would oh, I can't remember some of the names. Uh, famous, they're all famous. Yeah, uh, Phil Lamar, uh, Maurice, uh, Katie, uh, Katie Seagal, Chris Lamar, Pinky in the Brain, right? Uh, famous, they're all famous because they've been in in hit adult cartoons. Right, they're still still famous, and none of them can answer it. I said, I said, well, look, if you're asking for an English accent, I said it's very complicated now because your country has become completely homogenized. In fact, most people talk like this now, and it's a thing called the estuary accent. And if you go to the train station, you're likely to hear an announcement from a Scotsman. And mm-hmm. it's very likely that the bartender who's serving you 
comes from Shannon. <laughs> and I went on like this for, you know, five minutes. They went crazy because <laughs> nobody else could do that. And that's the truth about England today. Yeah, you know? yeah there's, there's lots of different, when you say English accent, you know, like the Beatles uh, from Liverpool, where they talk like this. Oh, Liverpool and accent. I, all those different areas. It's like America. You know, you got southern accents. Yorkshire accents are very yeah. different. The Welsh accents are very different. You do great, sure. great voices. You know, it's and that's amazing. that's England. It's an absolute hodgepodge of uh, of district accents. Isn't mm. that great, though, that, that your work Italy, is so too. indelible and will be around forever and ever? But what will? Your work. Your work is so indelible. I certainly hope so. I know I won't be around forever, but yeah, at know, least I'm reaching hang 80. Hang on forever. Right? July 28th. And uh, because we're taking good care of ourselves, uh, my wife, Melinda Peterson, and I, uh, we, you know, we're expecting to get through this horrible period together. Mm -hmm. We, unfortunately, act together in a brilliant company here in Glendale called the Antius Company. And we've just been cast as two wonderful, funny, old, drunken people in William Saroyan's The Time of Your Life at our, on our main stage. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. the pandemic hit. Yeah. And now they've canceled the whole season, and they have, they have no idea when they're going to open the next season. And I also have a play I co-authored with Sam Joseph, with whom I also co-authored a book that's out there now that Jeez. you might enjoy. I'll send you a copy if you send me an address called okay. What to Say to Your Crazy Right-Wing Uncle. Oh! Talking <laughs> for liberals. Oh, I need this. Okay. And I'll send you my address. It's yeah. illustrated by Phil Fountain, who's done wonderful cartoons. And it's available at Amazon, <clears throat> What to Say to Your Crazy Right-Wing Uncle. And uh, my book, by the way, <clears throat> uh, 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 what's it called? Uh, Where's My Fortune Cookie? is also available as an award-winning um, video, audio, an award-winning audio tape, whatever yes. they call them these days. Okay? <clears throat> so anyway, <clears throat> I co-authored a play with Sam called God Help Us, and it stars Ed Asner as God, oh. typecasting. Okay? And it's a political comedy that takes place in, like, purgatory, because God is so worried about the divisiveness in our country that he invites a pair of talking heads, a conservative woman and a liberal guy, up to debate the issues of the day in front of him so that he can decide where to put his weighty thumb on what side of the scale <laughs> to try to solve the problem of this divisiveness. Well, that play was touring all over the country and Canada to great success, and then the pandemic hit. Yep. So we don't know when that show is going to be done again. We're talking with Netflix now, okay, to see if we can't, because uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a one-set show with God, a couple of angels, and two other actors. And so we're talking to Netflix about doing it as a special, okay? So keep your fingers crossed, because that would be really good. God so help us, get it done. Wow. So, so have we made it to the future, Phil? Uh, you know... We're beyond the future. We've left the future behind. And you know why? Because everybody was too afraid to go there. Okay? Mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in our album, uh, Bozos, we said, uh, Welcome to the future. You may already be there. 
And of course, the uh, the uh, theme park basically sold them on the fact that they were there. They'd reached utopia. Everything was, you know, they were in the best of all possible worlds. And it, it's a lie. Total it is. Lie. It is. We, we, we never reached it because people are too afraid of change. The majority of people are too afraid of change. Oh, you have to drag people kicking people and screaming in progress. Their, uh, masks, for instance, is the same thing. It's called a fight or flee. The human instinct, which goes back to the, you know, the prehistoric times, is fight or flee. If that mastodon is standing there in front of you and you've got your spear, you, you have to decide, are you going to fight or flee? If that mastodon runs towards you, you're going to probably fight or flee, okay? <laughs> now, right. if you want to know more about my philosophy uh, in, in the world, my comic uh, outlook, my political outlook, uh, you can subscribe to Planet Proctor. Just go to planetproctor.com, contact me, I'll tell you how to sign up. And uh, it's a monthly newsletter, sometimes by, I'll do two a month, depends whenever I want to do it. It's profusely illustrated by a wonderful artist friend of mine named uh, 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 Gross, Chris Gross. And uh, you can go to the website, take a look, see if you like it, see if you want to get more of it. And you have and a podcast, too. If you don't too, know it, you right? should, too. Uh, or send me your email, and I'll sign you up, because mm -hmm. I know you'll, you'll get material from it, too. <laughs> you have a podcast, too, right, Phil? Yeah. Oh, I'm also doing a podcast called Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. <laughs> which is okay available on every platform including uh trump's platform that he's running on uh for real re-erection <laughs> and uh and it is we we've interviewed people like Penn Jillette and uh, uh, uh goodman uh, john goodman john goodman yeah uh leonard martin and oh god who else uh famous people yeah. who are friends of ours. So yes. it's a rather unique show, and it also has comic drop-ins from Firesign Theater. Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, Google it, and enjoy. So, so Phil, you're so busy. You're so busy. You're doing all of that. What do you do to relax? Or where do you go to relax? Or do you? Well, we, we work out four times a week, my wife and I, uh -huh. at a private gym, just uh -huh. with our private trainer, and uh, I go for walks with my daughter and my grandkids mm -hmm. who live five minutes away from me. And uh, I drink <laughs> and uh, smoke occasionally. Sure. Good. I'm glad I to hear that. work around the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. We are retired. We get our pensions. We have a terrific health care program thanks to SAG and AFTRA. Mm -hmm. We have a lovely house. That we worked, that I worked hard to to get back. Oh, 1975, right before the Golden Dragon Massacre. Uh, we've added on to it and improved it, and we have an inside-outside type of house. We're blessed. We're absolutely blessed. Living a good life. So, you know, we're at we're at the future of our life right now, <laughs> and and glad to be there. So the relaxing for me is enjoying. The life that I have, I'm very happy, very happily married. Uh, we are actively, we're lovers, we're friends, we fight oh. all the time, 
and she's funny, funny, funny. Melinda Peterson, also an actress and a writer with me. And so I'm a very, very, very lucky man. I really am. Mel, you are a true comedy, American comedy icon, and I just uh, am so happy to be able to sit and spend this this time with you. Well, I was very glad that Icon helped you with your show. Well, thank you very much, and uh, it's it's been a pleasure (laughs) to have you. I look forward to listening to some some of your shows, uh, and eventually my own. Well, this uh, is is one of the easier ones I've done. I I haven't had to say anything. You've answered the questions yourself. Yeah, I've been leaning back. I've been leaning back most (laughs) of the time. I know, it's crazy. I really, (laughs) I have so much to talk about. Well, that's great. I I, I I enjoyed every second of it. Especially with somebody who knows who Fireside Theater is. I just love sharing stories with you. Well, I'm just... And I I do hope it was interesting to the people who may not know, you know, our back history and all of that. Well, if they don't, you know, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, good. That's right. <laughs> yeah, fuck them and, and the the and the dog they rode in on. That's right. That's right. Okay, Phil. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys Mr. for being Phil such patient listeners. Thanks for coming on. I love you, and uh, and I hope we do it again sometime. Oh, I'll okay, try Phil. to do some thank more you, things, so I'll have more to talk about. Okay, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> right. God bless you. Stay thank safe you, and stay well. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. This is a Kirkenbauer half an hour to the second power with Bill Kirkenbauer and Jason Willett. Post-production by Chad Watson. Sponsored by ClearClick and CAD Audio, a Legends of Comedy production.